while checking the boxes might work in the short term, while it may give you quote unquote success in your role, if you truly want to supersede your resume, if you want to create a legacy of, of doing really big, impactful things that are making a positive uh, difference on the world, then we have to seek to work with people that want to take that bigger picture of solving really complex problems, creating really valuable things. And you can't do that by taking a short term approach. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So, so what's going on with you? Well, we got another foot of snow this week. Oh, Jesus Christ. I know. It's, I, you know, I just don't even at this point. It had gotten to the point where uh, Hila's dad called me and we were chatting. So they live quite high um, uh, elevation wise in California and they have a ton Mm -hmm. of snow. And he was asking about the snow. And I'm like, no, I'm like looking out like the grass is all green. This is super nice. We finally got through that winter. And literally two days after we chatted, we got easily a foot mm-hmm. of snow out on the out on the yard. So, But this was a heavy, heavy snow. So I got up early enough around 7 a.m. to start snow blowing. And I got half of the driveway cleared. Um, and then I came inside and then I went back out like a half hour later, couldn't snow blow the bottom, the bottom layer. I don't know if it was because, because it was a fresh snow, the, the concrete had some residual heat or something in it, but the bottom layer turned to pure slush with about 10 inches of snow sitting on top of it. And it just clogged up the snow. Like it just like, yeah, I'm like, all right. And it's still sitting out there. So I'm looking half the driveway clean and dry, half the driveway covered in snow. I'm like, eh. I'm going to let the sun melt it at this point. I'm done. Uh, we got no snow. Uh, I know. I'm seeing sure. the pictures. And I, you posted the picture. I'm like, what's this green stuff on the ground? I yeah. See. I don't, I'm not recognizing it. Yeah, we got no snow whatsoever this year. I think we had like a brief dusting at one point in December. And not, that that's was, not normal, is it? I mean, um, I mean, like we, we, we definitely go through cycles here, at least as long as I, I, I want to. I want to say I've seen more than one video of a Phillies game of of people in the stands and snowball fights uh eagles games i mean eagles Um, games yeah eagles games late late season games it's happened there was one game in december god maybe nine years ago or so 10 years ago i'd have to look back i can't remember exactly how long but yeah they call it the snowball because Mm -hmm. like it was the the stands were filled with snow so i mean we normally get a couple good snowstorms a year i mean there we go through cycles though where it's more of a mild winter and okay. this is this has been one of them, but like there'll be a mild winter or two, and then we'll get walloped with with a massive snowstorm. Okay, just shows what I know. Like we we think we know about the geography of our country, and I have no mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, right? like, but like the, there there was one time um, 
this was just as I was starting to to like work from home part time during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was still a rather new concept to me, like 16 years ago. And we had just this series of snowstorms, and I was working from home like three straight weeks, and like that was mm. totally new for me. Um, hmm. So yeah, I was I was at home for for three straight weeks at that point, and it was funny. I remember it was. Um, it was, it was maybe a week after Christmas. People were starting to take their decorations down. It was a really mild day. And I remember getting all the Christmas decorations down and, you know, the outside getting packed away. And then a week later, the snow hit and then it just kept snowing and snowing and snowing. And there was this one guy who could not get his uh, Christmas decorations off until the beginning of March. Here we are in April and people can't get Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's happened. Sadie's mad at the snow because the deer are starving. And so our yard is just full of deer. Last night, there were probably 12 deer out back, and she was just losing it. Like, they can't be back there. This is my territory. This is mine. <laughs> my territory. They're so hungry. There's like, you know, because like mm-hmm. the spring is taking so long to. Yeah. Philly seems latitudinal, latitudinal, latitudinal wise, latitude wise, seems further north than Salt Lake, but maybe that's just a misconception in my head. It's, you know, this is where I'm going to play amateur weatherman. Again, I think sometimes it depends upon the jet stream. There have been years where we've had cold, cold winters down into like the teens, um, but all of the moisture went north toward the Poconos, toward like central Pennsylvania. Ah. So they were getting all the snow. If it came here this way, it would have been, it would have been big snowstorms. Got it. So it's the way the air current kind of brings the moisture up again, shifting the way it shifts. Some years we could get a lot of precipitation this year, warmer air and a lot of rain. We did get a lot of rain this winter. Where if it were like ten degree, if it were ten degrees colder, we would have had snow. I, I, I you've you've exceeded my knowledge of the weather. My have I? Have and this I is sh- all observational. Living here for forty three. Yeah, years. yeah. Uh, have I told you? Did I ever tell you my my one weather story of being connected to a meteorologist? I think you did, but okay. go ahead and go ahead and tell me. So in, in in high school, I played tennis. And maybe I shared this before, but it's it's one of my most memorable stories. So in high school, I played tennis. I think, uh, I don't know, junior or senior year, uh, we were playing um, at another school. And, you know, normally you go to the other school and they have tennis courts, which they yeah. did. Um, but I was playing... I, this must've been my, my junior year. I had moved up to number two singles. So in, in tennis, there's five people on a traveling tennis team and you're ranked one through five. And so your number one best player plays their number one best player. Your number two plays their number two. No, maybe it's seven. And then you're, you're like, you go to three and then like four and five play doubles and then six and seven are on a doubles team. So there's two doubles teams and three singles. Anyway, I was our number two singles player. And I was playing against this other school's number two singles player. And everyone's getting warming up on the court. I'm like, sure, so should we do this thing? He's like, ah, my the courts at my house are nicer. <laughs> so I'm thinking we can go play there. I'm like, what? What is yeah. happening here? I'm like, 
All right. So uh, it, it turns out that his dad was a very famous weatherman in Utah that did the weather for like 40 years for one of the local weather stations. And now he has, the son has taken his dad's job at the same television station. So, Oh, that's hysterical. And I, I played against him and he, uh, completely destroyed me. I'm going <laughs> to say it's because he had home court advantage literally, advantage. but I, I think he was much better than me too. So <laughs> he's like, yeah, the courts are nicer at my house. I'm like, what? I don't know. I can, I just play on the courts where the lines are all scrubbed off because our school doesn't have any money. So I'm used yeah. to whatever. You know? Yeah. No, that, that's funny. Yeah. Um, when, when I worked for the minor league baseball team when I was in college that summer, I became an amateur weatherman. Um, oh, just yeah. watching, yeah. Yeah. just watching the weather. And that was a year where we had a lot of rain that summer. Um, and we were constantly putting the tarp on or off and, me and a few others were constantly just sitting on weather.com. We, we got to like get used to think, you know, we at least thought we could read the Doppler and say, yeah. okay, this is, eh, this is not looking good. We should go out and put the tarp on now. No, no, no. People would be like, no, 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 we're fine. We're fine. I'm like, I don't know. And then next, thing you know, it's like a race out there to get it on before the rain started. Like I told you. Yeah. Oh man. That those were the days, man. Yeah. Have you, I'm, I'm guessing the answer is no, but there is a underground, very low budget documentary that was made, I don't know, over a decade ago um, called Playing for Peanuts. Have you heard of it? No. You should check. You should at least go to YouTube and watch some of the clips. So it's 10 episodes. This, again, super low budget documentary following a team in Georgia called the South Georgia Peanuts. Oh, uh, yeah. You by, told me about by this. Wally, Wally Backman. Yeah. He played for the um, Phillies for a couple of years. Yeah. And he was with the Mets. Um, yeah. Anyway. If you're into minor league baseball, it is just an incredibly fun. I'll watch. make sure to watch it this time. Yeah. I remember, I remember it now. I remember you mentioning it before. Yeah. It fell off my radar. Every every time I I I watch it, I'm like, oh man, I bet Jim's got some great stories that he hasn't even shared yet about <laughs> the happenings within a small baseball minor league baseball team. One more story, and we'll get started on our topic. Um, again, it was a night. Um, most times we'd be putting the tarp on during the day. For some reason, it ran mostly rain mostly during the day, and then we get the game in at night. There were a couple times though we had to put the tarp on in the middle of the game for an audience. And after this one game, we put the tarp on. Game ended up getting called. Um, we're sitting up. Me, a couple of the interns, my boss, were sitting up in the the press box, and we're looking down. The rain had stopped, but there's this nice coat of water on the tarp. No. Uh -oh. each other, each other. <laughs> like, should we do this <laughs> we look at my boss we look at each other he looks over at us and he's like take off anything sharp <laughs> he's like don't get caught i didn't tell you you could and take off anything sharp like belt you know we had windbreakers on so the zipper yeah all that stuff he goes because if you rip that that's a couple thousand dollars <laughs> yeah you're not and we did. We went, we went out and did slip and slide on the tarp. <laughs> That's awesome. So that is awesome. Yeah, it, it was a fun story. Uh, it was a fun summer. It was an interesting summer. But, rain delays, rain delays, and now and then I'll let you get onto your topic. Yeah. So, um, growing up, um, I had season tickets to the the rookie league team, which is like the level below A ball 
in, in Ogden, Utah, because my mom was a host family. So like these kids were making like 50 bucks a week. They couldn't afford to live anywhere. And so like people in the area would host them and give them a room and food and whatnot. And in exchange, you got like a pack of family season tickets to the games and rain delays ended up being the most enjoyable part of that for me. Like the teams kind of coming up with fun things to do to entertain themselves during the rain delays was so entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. It it was good times. Um, And yeah, I do have some other interesting stories that I cannot tell here. (laughs) (laughs) We'll save that for the uh, suite in Vegas when we have a limited crowd. It's yeah, not going to go on the record. Exactly. So, all right. So l- let's actually dig into our topic today. And I was trying to. You're trying to segue, segue there. Yeah, I couldn't. So okay. l- l- let's just continue our, our theme that, that we've had going around vendors or outcomes. Um, the idea, are you focused on, you know, partnering with a specific vendor? Are you fo- focusing on partnering with someone who's actually going to get you the outcomes that you want or, or need? Um, so last week we we spent some time talking about um, does the agency you're partnering with have your best interest? So looking at it from the client side and evaluating who you're working with, and you can even extend that to to technology partners. But do they have your best interest in mind? Yeah. This week I want to switch it up and look at it from the agency or technology vendor side of things. And I want to ask the question, are you putting your client in a better place or are you just checking items off a list? Mm. Uh, because, I mean, have you ever been a part of a project or initiative and after it's over, you just feel as though like things are not improved or in a better condition? Yeah, hold on. Okay. Good timing. <laughs> All right, Luke. Good timing because I needed a water too. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with these beans, but this coffee that I made is so rich. I need some water. Okay, sorry. We ask your question. So, have you ever been part of a project or an initiative, and after it's over, you feel as though things are not better? They're not improved. Think you know the the client is not in a a better condition. For sure. Yeah. Like I you, mean, you I, could. Yeah. People say the project's a success, but yeah. things are not better. Yeah, and that's a and that's a tough one. Um, and I've definitely had it through throughout my career. Um, and I and I know it's a, it's a tough one that we, we deal with current day. Um, and and to your point, you know, all, most of the times um, the the client isn't even dissatisfied <laughs> or doesn't even like to them they feel like they've got something great. Um, but it's it's something that you know, I think we've, we've crossed that, that, that path many times because I've talked with the team, the teams come to me and said, I feel, I feel horrible. I feel like, you know, not fulfilled. Like we we didn't do what we needed to do. And, and, and I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that we're asking those questions and saying, did we do enough? Did we do it right? Did we put in our best effort? Um, And in our case, in this, differs by agency model. But in in our model, I have to remind the team, I said, look, I'm glad you're asking these questions. We should never get complacent that we can't improve what we do. 
So if, if we find an outcome like that, we need to ask ourselves the question, are there things we could have done different? Did we make mistakes? You know, what can we learn from that? Um, but a lot of times, you know, the team is just being incredibly hard on themselves. And I look at them like, you guys did everything I asked you to do. You have to remember that we're guiding these, these companies up an incredibly challenging hill. And as much as we would like to literally take every step for them and carrying them up and down the hill, that's not what they're paying us to do. They're paying us to guide them and we need them to take one step after another. And, you know, if, if we've put in our best effort to do that and they're still refusing to take the step, you know, sure, let's use it as an opportunity to say, how can we be more um, convincing? How can we, you know, get them more excited, put them in a better position to take that step? But ultimately, it's a partnership, right? The best, the best agency client relationships are, are partnerships. And it's not one side carrying the other. It's a partnership where we're moving together. And yeah, there's been occasions where we check the boxes, the client was happy, yeah, we got it done. But we knew that we didn't help them reach the potential of what we knew that we could get them to. And that, that can be incredibly frustrating. Um, when you think of some of those examples, were there particular indicators that told you that, yes, the, you know, the client is deeming the project a success. Um, you know, it's been delivered, but you know, that things could be better. Yeah, I think the biggest indicator, and I have gotten a lot better at identifying this in the upstream funnel so that it doesn't even get to the team. Um, but sometimes it gets to the team because things change, people change, or you know, teams get reorged all the time. We, we can't control that. But I've been a lot more focused as part of the sales um, process to truly understand what companies are trying to do. You know, are, are you just trying to check a box? You know, are you kind of playing the, you know, I don't really want to climb a mountain, but I just want to take pictures with all the gear so I can post it to Instagram. So, you know, my friends think I'm a mountaineering, you know, expert. Like, are you doing it to check the box that we got it done? Or are you doing it because this is a passion that you think that there's real opportunity to learn more about your customer, create better experiences on your websites and your mobile apps? If it's the latter, all day long, we're in, let's help, Let, let's work together to make that happen. If it's a, eh, you know, we just want to, we want to kind of pretend to be data people so we can post it to our Instagram stories. No, nah, you're going to have to go work with someone else. Cause I, you know, we can check a box and you're going to pay us and everyone should be happy, but I guarantee you, my team's not going to be happy because we take it personally. You know, we want, we, we know what's possible. And when we're just going through the actions, again, we check the box, we get the payment but the team feels incredibly hollow. Like it's a hollow victory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's interesting. You kind of bring that up. The we're doing this for the, the optics of it, because I did want to dig into a bit about the, what are some potential root causes for, for things that for like this to happen? You know, yeah. um, again, good. Yeah, no, I, I, I think there are a lot, but most the, the I think the overwhelming root cause where we see this happen is a team has been assigned to do this. They don't know why they don't care. They've just been told to do it. So it's usually in organizations that have put limited budget into analytics and they've just kind of thrown it at the wall to see which team it sticks on. It's like, ah, OK, you're going to you're going to deploy this and get this stood up. 
And usually the team that gets pointed to or volunteered for it, they don't really want to do it. They don't know why they're doing it. They've just been assigned to do it. And so, again, to check the box, so I get my job done, so I get a good job review, so I get a bonus. It happens way more than I think we're willing to to admit. Um, and so, again, like culturally, like why are we doing this? Are we doing this because – we want to get better at what we do. We want to learn more about our customers. That's a very different story from, I don't know, someone bought this or it's a legacy. No one really wants to own it, but we've already got these sunk costs in it. Hey, Jim, you and your team, like, take care of this. Like, oh, take care of what? Like, we don't even know what we're trying to do here. And so, again, it's a lot of it is going through the motions for the optics of, well, I was asked to do it, so we did it, you know? And I've had, I've had prospects that have been pretty blunt in that conversation. You know, they said, Hey, we just need you to come in and, you know, migrate us to GA4. And I'm like, great. How are you going to, we don't care, but our boss is like really bugging us. We need to get this done. We don't, we don't even really use it. (laughs) We just have to say that we have it there. I'm like, okay, move along. Where do those people typically sit in an org when you encounter them? Uh, A lot of times marketing. Um, yeah, a lot of times the marketing or that's where this kind of gets dumped into, but it's, it's fallen in other places. It's fallen in finance, sometimes in product, um, maybe a bit more in development, uh, where it's, it's seen as a technical, oh, there's JavaScript and code, and this is a development thing. So a lot of times it will get dumped on the dev teams, um, to, to own it and, they don't want to do it. (laughs) You know, it's just another thing they're being asked to do. They're not getting any insights from it. They don't know why they're doing it. So they're like, okay, we'll do it. And, and we've, you know, worked with a couple of clients in the past that were like that, where the dev team owned and set the strategy for analytics. And it's a much different view than if the product team or the marketing teams own it, right? Like everything is all about, all we really care about measuring is page load time and page performance. I'm like, cool. There's like 99 million other things we can also, nah, yeah, we're not interested in that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I was going to be, cu- I was curious to see if like you've ever had like people like that, that sat in like the PMO, um, the PMO org. Um, because as I was putting this episode together and thinking through this topic, like for some reason, it's, this is not to bash on project managers, you know, the, um, you know, I, I've got great relationships with them. Um, th- that being said, I have thought back to um, projects where in the past where the project manager is just concerned about completing things on time. Was this checked off? Was it, you know, not, was it done right? Does it work? Does it, you know, support the goals of the organization? Is this item checked off? Rarely have I seen the initiative land in the project manager's office. But a lot of times they do play a very critical role in it. Um, And I think project managers, as it relates to analytics project, is a normal distribution. You know, the fat part of the curve is, you know, they'll get the job done. Um, And it's just they kind of help with the logistics and it's okay. You have a few of the outliers to one side that... Um, it, it really is about, it really is about managing the project more than managing the project. If you know what I mean, it's managing like the operational minutia details of epics and sprints and points and standups and like 
that's more important than what the project actually produces. You know, those are really, really dangerous projects. But to balance it out on the flip side, um, man, we've worked with some incredible project managers in the past that I'm like, oh, if I could clone you across every company, you would make you would make every analytics project successful because they get that their role is not to be the taskmaster to kind of stand there with a uh, like a carrot or a whip to get people to work to hit deadlines. They know that their role is I get to stand back and look at the big picture and figure out how to remove barriers before the team ever gets there to bring the right people in at the right time. And we've worked with two or three that I that I know by name over the years that have just have been incredible in that role and they are priceless but they're so so rare most i think get the job done hmm. a few get in the way and those project managers that you were talking about that are priceless i feel like one of the things that makes them that is that they keep a view on the bigger picture yeah what is this project actually trying to accomplish not that i've got another project to manage and let me just make sure things get done yeah, you're you're spot on. It's not it's not about the details of managing like the logistics of the project. It's what are we trying to accomplish? And the and the ones that I'm thinking about not only were able to take that big view, they had frameworks in place to learn about things that they didn't know about before. I remember one guy that we worked with at a travel company, he had never heard of digital analytics or Adobe Analytics or Google. He never heard of any of that. And he took it upon himself to just sponge everything up. He's like, give me information, send me videos, send me documentation. And he learned as much as he could. He's like, I know if I know more about what we're trying to do with this project, I'm going to be a better guide for this project. I'm like, dude, yes, I'm going to take you with you, with me everywhere where I go. Like, that is amazing. But again, so, so incredibly rare. But it's it's a parallel to the agency world. Like how many agencies are willing to put that work in, right? Like how many agencies are willing to say, I don't know anything about this industry or this specific company. I'm going to learn as much as I can. They don't, it's like, no, we're just checking a box. Like, oh, you need this analytics stood up? Okay, we'll go stand it up. Your, your, your finance? Okay, we have a template for that. No, it's not about the operational details of the project. It's learning as much as we can so we can build something that is, incredibly unique and tailored to your specific needs. And that takes investment in time. That takes curiosity to learn about the project that you're doing. And that's not something you can just slap a template on and say, okay, this is an eight to 10 week project worth 8,000 points. And we're going to break it into seven. No, none of that's, none of that's important. Yeah. I, I remember coming across an agency many, many years ago that no matter what industry the client was in, they would put an e-commerce spin on it. They would, they would basically use the e-commerce funnel as their template to build it out. And it's probably what they were super comfortable with. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think part of the problem is, is that most people, whether you're an employee, you're working at an agency, feel unsafe to say, I don't know. But if you if you're unable to say I don't know, then how can you ever learn about something new? You know, I I think we've taken on lots of challenges, and in fact, we have a project that we're doing right now that we're executing at an incredibly high level. Where I said, look about this specific thing. I don't know. 
we don't have any great experience around it, but we have experience around all this stuff and the frameworks to help inform how to do that. If you're willing to take a risk, we're willing to take a risk and it's working out incredibly well, but that's how you learn. But to most, especially to agencies, it's really hard. Like you have to take the approach of, oh, well, we know everything. We have experience in everything. Like, no, you don't. There's just no way you, you can do that. And so if you get to a point where you're comfortable with what you know and what you don't know and, and calculated risks that you can take on with a joint partner, as long as you're being transparent and open about it, that's, that's how meaningful things get done. That's how growth happens. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's just so incredibly rare. There's a question. Uh, Oops, I, oh, I hit, I, oh, I jacked it up. I hit the wrong button. See, okay. I went to hit the mute button and I hit the solo layout button. There we go. Right like that. I can't have access to all the fun tools. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- th- there's a question I want to ask, but I'm, I'm going to skip it because, you know, I, I know it, it, it's, it's way too obvious and it's going to, it's going to, <laughs> don't get us away. in trouble. Don't, don't get us in trouble. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to get us in trouble. Um, so other than saying, I don't know, and trying to learn, what are some ways that you see or certain um, steps someone can take to make sure that the project that they're working on is not only successful in the eyes of maybe those that need to keep an eye on a checklist and make sure things hit a certain schedule, but that also do result in, in greater value for for a client? Uh, to me, it comes down to curiosity. I, I, if we don't have the curiosity to ask the question of why are we doing this, then we're never going to to get there. And as analysts, that should be innate in, in what we do. But for, for so many of us, it, it whether it's there or not, I think it often just gets buried with this need to just get the job done. Um, and especially from an agency side, it's really, really hard because you know, agencies are so focused on profitability and they're often running on razor thin margins. And it's, you know, we have to stick to these, excuse me, these timelines so that we hit our profitability numbers for this quarter. It's, it's really, really hard um, to, to be able to, to take that kind of broader approach uh, on, on things. So I, I empathize with it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know how to solve for that, honestly. I don't know that I have a great, any great wisdom around that. Then let me ask you this. What kind of feedback or have you, let me actually change the question, but have you ever given feedback to a client where you see a project that is, they're looking to go down the path of it? Um, of Meaning say, in the box? What's that? You mean the path of checking the box? Or just going down the path of a particular project where there is no value? Mm. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've definitely seen that. Um, mo- wait, what, wait, what? Most of the times that I, wait, did I lose Jim? I don't know what happened. And he's back. And now we're flipped and now we're flipped I, back. I go to get my notepad to write something. <laughs> okay. Um, so so yeah and and i don't think it's because of like the curiosity thing i think um oftentimes these projects are um 
should I say, externally driven? Does that make sense? Meaning mm, a lot, mean? uh, meaning a lot of these projects that they're going down are often done because of external pressure, either external to the company, like uh, a, a they very, keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. Keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, you know our competitors are doing this. Oh, uh, you know sales rep at vendor, you know X is pushing this really hard. So a lot of that like external pressure. Uh, happening and and sometimes it's it's an internal pressure you know from another team that may have some sort of dominance over the team saying hey we we have to do this we've had those conversations with with companies where I've asked why are you doing this <laughs> and they said I don't know but you know so and so business unit or so and so you know making us do this and honestly we're just tired of getting yelled at but <laughs> this is almost an exact quote I am so tired of them yelling at me to do it that I'm just going to do it because I don't want to get yelled at anymore. <laughs> okay, that's, I guess, a good reason to prioritize a project. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of times it's it's not that the analytics or MarTech teams are going down a path that they haven't vetted out every very well or haven't had the curiosity to say, why are we doing this? It's typically they feel almost in no-win situations um, because they're getting this this pressure or they're kind of getting pressure from a sales rep and they're just like, they finally break down. I'm like, all right, we'll do it. <laughs> you know, cause I've seen it, you know, I've seen how like thirsty these sales orgs can be and how over time they can literally break down your, your willpower. And you get to the point where like, I don't want to do this, but you know what? It, I'll just say yes. So you'll go away, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's kind of typically these projects where they're going down this path where we, Sometimes have to be, I don't know if it's the bad guy, but we, we have to be the one sometimes to put up the stop sign or maybe the yield sign to say, wait a minute, let's slow down a little bit and ask why we're doing this. So, yeah. Yeah. I had a client recently ask me like, what's the deal with server side? You know, I'll, I'll do my, my terrible Jerry Seinfeld impression. What's, what's the deal with server side? No, they, they actually you still me. need a client cookie. You still have a browser. Am I right, people? <laughs> that's actually but yeah that was actually really good thanks but uh they, they did they asked me you know what my thoughts were because they, again they were seeing you know um their competitors potentially going down this path they're hearing from their technology partners that they have to do it and i like how you you gave the image of you know putting up the yield side i said my thing was is i was like use caution i said don't rush into it um, I said, if someone's coming to you and saying that you're one of the last ones to do this, you're going to be left behind. You're, oh, I said, no. that's a, yeah, no, I, I told them, I said, if you're being pressed by somebody outside the organization to do it, most likely it's a high pressure sales tactic. Yeah. If you were to put together a project to try to get it, you know, get everything fully server side, I said, you would be in such a small minority of people that have actually been able to accomplish it. Yeah. I said, my advice to them was to evaluate it, take time to evaluate it. And I told them it's not quite perfected. So I said, you're, you're going to be on the cutting edge. Um, it's not quite perfected. And you might go through a lot of pain to get some of like the server side marketing technology up. So I was like, evaluate it. Don't just jump in and say, let's do it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we shouldn't be treating it as such transactional, 
um, moments where it's like, oh, we're evaluating this one commodity versus no, like these decisions are, have lasting impacts. And we've seen with some companies that last decades, these are not, these are not just isolated small, de- these are big decisions. And if anyone is pushing you to make a rush decision of, you know, sale ends now, there's a vendor that I'm not going to call out by name that did this via an email campaign that literally had the clock in the email that said, you have seven hours left to do this. If you don't do it, it's I'm like, whoa, like these are huge decisions. You're really going to put up the countdown timer on these companies like this is awful, awful. And so but if they wouldn't do it, if it didn't work, it works. But it's, it's horrible. It creates horrible outcomes. Like, yeah, I mean, it works, I guess, in the short term. But the long term, it's left to be seen what, what, what damage they've done and if they're able to, you know, recover from that. Because it's just, it's awful. Like, you know, this is, these are big, big decisions. And we, we you know, not that we should sit around and get an analysis paralysis, but these aren't decisions that we should be forced to make at like eight o'clock before the store closes at eight 30. Like no way, you know? So if, if we're finding ourselves in those situations, it's better to walk away. It's better to walk away and pay more. Right. I, I think I shared the story of when I went to buy a piano where yep. they, they gave me that line. It's like, well, the store closes in like 30 minutes and then the sales over. I'm like, I'm going to walk across the street to your competitor and pay a few thousand dollars more for this piano out of spite because I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to be rushed into a major decision for an amazing instrument that's going to sit in my house for 40 years. Yeah, but but people absolutely fall for all it the time. And that's why they, that's why it's done. It works. And especially if, if, if they get in in with the wrong department. Like if you, like I have seen marketing technology vendors try to get into the product team, the product owners. Mm -hmm. And I, and for me, the, the one particular example I can think of was because. And shame on them, by the way. Because they, they could shovel bullshit. Yeah. And the product team, the pro, you know, and this was an incredibly smart product team, but because their focus was not necessarily this technology, um, they were circumventing people that knew more about the technology specifically and could call them on it. And I swear they went after the product team intentionally. So let's go back to the title of this episode. Are you putting your clients in a better place? If you're a technology vendor and your sales tactic is to sow discontent between teams within an organization you're pitching to, you're not putting your client in a better place. You're putting them in a worse place. And yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it where marketing teams have been the the focus, where vendors go in, they attach to the marketing team, and they are undercutting the in-house analytics team, throwing them under the bus, you know, making them mistrusted. And it's, it's awful. It's awful. And so whether you're an agency, whether you're a consultant, whether you're an industry guru, a vendor, if, if you're undermining other teams in the organization in order to position your product or services, you are absolutely not putting your client in a in a better place. Um, there are better ways to sell than trying to undermine other teams in order to push your product or services. Yeah, and I'll go back to what I said last week um, in our last episode. 
absolutely call me naive, but I just, I think it's simple. It's, it, it, it's the simplicity factor here. If you're putting yourself, putting your client in a better position, ultimately you should be in a better position in the long run as well. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is that there's such a transient nature to employment that no one has to own that. And that's the problem. Um, Very true. I was just talking to a prospect this morning where they were asking about the stability of the project team we would build for them. And I'm like, I can't guarantee you anything, but I can show you our track record of, of having an incredibly low turnover rate and stability within our company. And because of that, we are going to take a long-term vested interest because we're going to be tied to you for as long as we have a partnership for years. Like many of our clients have been with us five, six, seven years. And, and so we have to own that over the long term. But at most agencies, at most product companies, the person doing the selling, even the person doing the consulting um, isn't going to be there in 18 months, 12 months. And so it doesn't matter. Like they're going to make a decision and they don't have to live with it because they're going to bounce and it's going to be on someone else's shoulders that takes over that account when they leave. And so whether I'm selling or whether I'm offering consulting, if I know I'm not going to be in this job, job long term, I'm not as concerned about the long-term decision I'm making. So I'm just doing things in the short term that get me what I need. And it's unfortunate. And I'm not saying that everyone's like this. Um, I, I definitely think there are agencies and product companies that are absolutely like this culturally. Um, but even within those companies, you have um, outliers that are like, I'm not going to do this. I care too much for these companies. I'm going to get... But, but again, they're so few and far between. And that's why we hear stories like this of, oh, we had this great consultant over at Agency Y and they were amazing. We really loved it. And then they moved on and we got another consultant and it just sucked. I'm like, well, you, you, you somehow like rolled the perfect role when you got that consultant because that happens. But, you know, you're, you're going to roll the dice a hundred more times and it's going to come up bad a hundred more times because there's only one out of a hundred and you got that one very luckily. So... That's why looking for consistency, like looking for a long tenure, looking for a long tenure in employees. I, I can't remember. Was it on a, someone asked me like, what question would you ask if you were interviewing an agent? Yeah, it was a couple or, episodes ago. Right. I'm like, I would ask about tenure because that tenure is going to tell me a lot about what I need to know about your strategy. Are you going to take a future backwards approach with me or are you going to take a quarter by quarter transactional approach with me? That's going to tell me a lot about what our relationship's going to look like. Yeah. So one last question and we'll start to, to wrap it up. Um, what do you do if you're an employee in an organization where you want to take that long-term approach and cultivate that relationship with a client and make, and ensure what you're doing provides them long-term value but you're being pushed to do the opposite. Do it at the same time you're looking for another job. You, you're not going to change the culture of the company. And and I know this because I talked to so many consultants from so many different agencies that I'm sure if the executives and owners of those agencies knew would be freaking out that their people were talking to me. But I talked to a lot of consultants, a lot of really good consultants and and they share that with me. They say, look, I, I, I'm taking the right approach. I'm doing the right thing. Like I care about what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm not supported in doing that. And worse, I'm being told to stop doing that because it's not fitting our model. What do I do? 
and they want to stick with it. And, you know, kudos to them for wanting to change and shift the culture. But a hundred times out of a hundred, they come back to me a year or two years later and say, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I, I feel completely used up. I'm like, I know, like I told you, but sometimes you just have to, to figure that out. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're in an agency or uh, a vendor relationship on that side of the house and you really want to take a let's do right by the customer long term and you're being forced to do the opposite, keep doing what you know is right. But in the meantime, also look for a job that's going to be a better fit for your uh, way of doing work because chances of you being able to change how these companies operate is pretty slim. And let's focus on the executives of, of those organizations. Um, what advice would you give to those that have a desire or see that, you know what, things can be simpler than what they're being told they are. Everyone, you know, we're always told that things are more complex than we think they are. I'm going to go back to get into my comment. Call me naive. If, you know, that, you know, looking out for my clients' long-term best interests won't also help me as well. Um, but we're told it's much more complex than that. We have to worry about, you know, billing rates and um, margins and all of these other things. Whereas if we service the clients well, everybody works, you know, everything works out in the long term. Um, you know, say you have someone who's running an organization where they want to do that, but they're being pulled, whether it's external forces, other internal forces to focus on. We need to worry about the the short term and just getting things done, getting things checked off a list, whether they're actually moving the organization itself, the clients in, you know, in a better direction. Yeah, I mean, my advice to executives is to is to seek out people, both full time employees and expert external guides and, and partners that want to take a long term approach of succeeding together, um, of, of truly working together to solve difficult problems and become stronger and better at, at what we do. Um, otherwise, we're going to fall into this trap of, of just kind of checking the boxes and um, while checking the boxes might work in the short term, while it may give you, quote unquote, success in your role, if you truly want to supersede your resume, if you want to create a legacy of, of doing really big, impactful things that are making a positive uh, difference on the world, then we have to seek to work with people that want to take that bigger picture of solving really complex problems, creating really valuable things. And you can't do that by taking a short-term approach. And people have asked me that question, like, well, what are your strategies for maximizing revenue and, you know, your, your optimization of how your team works? And, you know, I, I'm not going to share those details, but those aren't even the details that are important. That's not to say I don't think about them and I don't analyze them. But the view that I take is that if we treat our employees right, if we, if we look at our our clients as someone that we truly want to put in a better place, not to just check off a box that we did X or Y, but we truly help them reach their level of, of expertise and um, ability, then all those other things just kind of take care of themselves, you know? And, and again, not that we don't have to look at them or think about, we, we, we need to, whatever our role is, we should make the people around us more successful. And then everything else, the raises, the bonuses, the recognition, the revenue, that stuff just kind of has a way of taking care of itself. And while, while you were saying that, it reminded me of a Richard Branson quote. 
because um, so I was looking that up as well. Because what I wanted to say is, is yes, Richard Branson has said the same thing. And he said, by putting the employee first, the customer effectively comes first by default. And in the end, the shareholder come uh, comes first by default as well. Yeah. Like when you do that, like all those other things take care of themselves. When you when you reverse the order, when you put the shareholder first and make that your strategy, when you put re- – we know what happens there. Like only a few people win in that scenario. Again, I'm going to use your word that was famous from this episode. Call me naive, but I believe in the rising tide rises all the boats. Like – if if we if we're doing the right thing, we can all. It, it's not a zero sum game. We literally can all enjoy. There's so much. There's so much riches to be had. There's so much abundance. You know, we don't need to hoard it as an agency, as individuals. If if we're putting our client in a better place, we will all enjoy incredible riches. Yeah, and I think looking back at the last ten years, we have some examples of that. We have a lot of examples and that's, that makes me incredibly proud. Yeah. So cool. Let, let's go ahead and wrap up there before we have any more, <laughs> any more uh, technical glitches. Any, any more technical issues for, for today. So with that, thank you much. And we will talk to everyone later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.